Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you for being here. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible or if you know someone who needs a Bible, you can just take this one home with you. Uh, We would love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, and that can be found on page 976. Follow along with me as I read. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this church, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather up and worship you. I pray that you would speak through Pastor Jason. Uh, We pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you have for us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you you can have a seat. You'll get to keep it for a while. I'll either preach for a little bit or a lot of bit, but I promise I won't make you stand up again, at least while I'm preaching. Um, I used to live in Oklahoma and uh, would do a little cowboy work, race some, uh, I didn't race horses, but I would train horses, ride horses, all that sort of stuff. And so I, my friends were cowboys and there was this word that you wanted to be, and I don't know if it means anything to you, but we wanted to be punchy. Like you were really super punchy if you were really cowboy. And so really cowboy, like you only wore your spurs if you were riding your horse and you, you didn't wear a hat inside a bill, all that sort of stuff. There's all these rules. Then there were guys who had land and cattle and they worked them with four wheelers. And we would look down on those guys that would gather up their cattle with four wheelers. And so maybe you're a four wheeler person or you call them quads here in Arizona. Maybe that's you, that's fine, it's a safe place. But I remember asking uh, one of my cowboy buddies, why do they use four-wheelers? And they said, well, if you think about it, that four-wheeler, you don't have to feed it, you just put gas in it. It only turns right if you turn it right. It only turns left if you turn it left. Uh, It doesn't think for itself. It just does whatever you do. Now, you can make a dumb decision and wreck. But I was uh, training a a horse one time. The horse was super green. Doesn't mean that was its color. It means no one had ridden it very much. And I was on the side of the road and just kind of sitting along and a buddy of mine drove by and waved at me, so I waved back. And when I brought my hand up, the horse decided, let's go nuts, and bucked and did its best to get me off there. And I realized that's why they ride four-wheelers. Like, I don't blame them now. And so they would say, you know, horse is a self-thinking animal. Now, transition into kids. I'm not saying our kids are like livestock or horses, but however... There, um, man, when I became a dad, and we, we have five kids, people always ask us if we know what causes it, and I always say yes, and we are for it. It's in the Bible. It's good stuff. Anyways, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. We're doing our part, okay? We're doing our best to do that. So there for a while, like every 18 months, someone with our last name would show up at our house. And so I've got five kids, uh, two of them. Uh, my two oldest daughters were on the stage today lead, helping to lead worship, and I've got a son and a couple other daughters. They range from... 20 years old to seven years old. And um, I have things I want for them, just like you want for your kids. Like I know kind of how I want them to vote. I know kind of who I want them to marry. I know where I want them to live. I know what I want my grandkids to call me. I have these plans and these hopes and wishes. Who has that for your kids? Like 
there's nothing harder. Like I used to be afraid of watching my kids make a bad decision, like ordering their steak well done, you know? <laughs> now, now it's like it's hard to watch my kids make like a good decision versus the best decision, you know, the one that I would make. So we spend a lot of time praying. Like we've prayed boyfriends out of our kids' lives and girlfriends out of our kids' lives. And if you're an ex and you're here today, safe place. We're really glad that you're here. It was the sovereign will of God that it didn't work out. And that's what we're gonna see in the text today. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Uh, but you know what it's like to want things for your kids and then life can happen or they choose differently, uh, but they get to choose and they may not choose what you would have for them. And your wants and desires for them can ultimately become wishes that never came true, that sort of thing. Uh, but last week, we learned that we're in Christ if we're his. If we are sons and daughters of God, we have been adopted into this. And so like, and if you are new around here or this is your first day here, like we're, you just need to know we're jumping in with both feet to this idea, this doctrine of predestination and God's sovereignty and his sovereign choice and that he's chosen those who are his. And so like, if you're uncomfortable with that, how do you think I feel? I'm the one preaching the stuff, you know? Like just no, I just know emails are coming in this week. Uh, but what we do around here is we preach through books of the Bible. We go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's my favorite way to preach and teach God's word. And that's what's in the Bible. So that's what I'm gonna preach and talk about. And so that's what Paul has done for us. He's left us this week with a major run-on sentence. In fact, the run-on sentence in Ephesians 1 is so bad that the tech team reached out to me this week and said, hey, do you know that the scripture reading is like in the middle of a sentence? And I said, yeah, blame Paul. You know, blame the author of the book. And uh, so that's kind of, we're in this run-on sentence. I'm gonna try to catch us up and, and, and hitch this week to last week because it is all one sentence. But last week we learned that if you're in Christ, that you were chosen before time and space was made by God, that he predestined to make you close to Jesus, in fact, in Jesus, uh, you have this blessing that's better than any blessing you could have because you're in him. And you've gone from being in Adam, your first father, to in Christ, your new big brother, and now God the creator is your father once again. Now, I know some of you are like, whoa, that's a lot. Well, let me, let me try to unpack that and catch it up. Last week, we learned that our ultimate dilemma is not that we're unhappy people and we need better circumstances so that we can be happy. Uh, at some point in your life, you may realize that. Here's kind of how happiness works. You're unhappy and you wanna be happy, or you've gotten happy before, and then you realize this is it. I think it's like uh, Tom Brady after he won like the 32nd Super Bowl he ever won, was like, I mean, this is it. This is the top of the world. This is all it is, you know? And we know, no, there's more to life than just Super Bowls, and it's... Um, it's Jesus. And so we're born in Adam. Our first father, Adam, was created by Father God, and he was put in a garden and told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He was given a wife. God walked his kids down the aisle and officiated the first wedding and told them they could do all sorts. They could run around naked in the garden. It wasn't weird to be naked back then. Now it'd be weird to be naked in front of people that you shouldn't be naked with. That's just weird. And at one time, I guess it wasn't. And then they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one thing God told them not to do. When they did that, they, they chose to sin. They brought sin in the world. So God made people and made a world in which it was possible for man to choose to rebel against his creator. Uh, the same story goes for angels, but we don't have time to get into all that, but that's what happened. Satan shows up, he was fallen, and he tempts our first parents, Adam and Eve, to fall 
and they do, so they choose sin. Now we have a sin nature. So corporately, we're guilty of Adam's sin, but also if you just take Adam out of the way and if the first man was Jason and you put me in the garden running around naked and all that stuff, I would have probably grabbed the fruit and ate the stuff too. And then there would be the sins of Jason instead of the sins of Adam. You'd be in Jason and you'd be doomed and damned for hell unless you were made holy. What's most wrong with us is not our unhappiness, it's our unholiness. It's that we have all, in some way, committed cosmic treason against God. What I mean by that is we have broken commandments. Even just go with the first 10 that would say, have no other gods before me. There are created things that we have all elevated to the level of creator, and we've given glory to things like money. We've given glory to things like power. We've given glory to things like sex. And God says, the glory belongs to me. You use those things in such a way that roll up into worship of God, they glorify him, and they lead to human flourishing. But what we do is we gratify our desires and our appetites, and we use those things in such a way to glorify ourselves and rebel against God. So whether that's with um, someone asked you about your weekend and you embellished it a little bit to make it seem more interesting and told a lie, Maybe uh, somebody, you, you, you did something wrong, you don't want anybody to know, so you don't tell the truth about it. Or maybe you see somebody got promoted at work and you wanted that job and now that they have it, you covet that role and you think they shouldn't have it and I should have it. That's covetousness. Uh, we've taken and stolen. Some of us, we've slept with people we aren't married to. We've slept with people who are married to someone else. We've lied, we've cheated. Like in this room, there's plenty of sins for us to talk about, but, but don't worry, we won't make you stand up and tell all. You just know when I start saying those things, uh, everyone goes, like somewhere, somehow, when we start talking about that, we all feel known and named. And that's because we're in Adam. And what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and it's for us too, if you are a Christian, you've moved from in Adam to in Christ. And we have this imagery of this historical event in Genesis chapter six, when God flooded the world. In Genesis six, God says that man, man has been so bad, they're, they're, they're just so naughty down there that I'm gonna unplug the world and reboot it again. And the way he does it is he sends rain and he sends wrath in the form of a flood. And he tells Noah and his family, if you'll build a boat, get your, get your family on there and put some animals because we're gonna have to reboot the world. So if you'll do that, I'll spare you. So that's what he does. He believes God, it's counted to him as righteousness. He builds the ark. So the story of Noah and the flood or Noah and the ark is this, that they were like being in the ark is being in Christ. So in that historical moment and supernatural moment, when the rains fell and the water line raised, everyone below the water line was experiencing God's wrath. Those above the water line inside the ark were experiencing God's grace. They were spared from the wrath of God. They were blessed with the greatest spiritual blessing. And that's what Paul tells the church at Ephesus and he tells Grace Point Church today that if you're a Christian, you're in Christ and your circumstances will come and go. Happy will happen and crappy will happen. But one day when everyone Everyone stands before Jesus and gives an account of their soul, you'll stand before Jesus and he'll give you grace because he went in your place. You're in him like you're spared from the wrath of God. You're spared from the fury and anger of God against your sin. And so that's what Paul has written and says, so you're in Christ, you were chosen, you were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters. And then he goes on to say, just like you're a dad, I'm a dad, you're a mom, I'm not a mom, that'd be weird. But we have hopes and dreams for our kids. Well, God has more than hopes and dreams for his kids. He has plans that are predestined that will come about. They will happen. 
We can't choose or unchoose our way out of what God is going to do with our lives. And I know that'll make your brain hurt and that's okay, it's supposed to, because what's gonna happen is we're gonna read scriptures that are gonna talk about both dimensions. And those of you who are into the History Channel and aliens, you're like, whoa, I didn't know we, we did this at church. Okay, well, I'll try not to get too far out there, but just for the sake of, of the sermon, there is one world that God created with two dimensions. There is the seen and the unseen, the natural and the supernatural. And what Paul is writing about is both today. He's gonna talk about your life, but through the lens of all eternity, like outside of time and space, and how God is relating to you corporately as a people connected to God's people in all time and all of history all over the world, and then also your own personal story and how God is using all things for his purposes in the plans that he has for your life. And so where my kids could vote different than I want them to, they could do whatever. But, but as God's kids, we will end up doing, our life will end up giving him glory exactly the way that he wants it to do. So let's look in verse eight. Verse eight, Paul writes and says, he lavished upon us. This, is, this goes back to last week. And if you look earlier in verse seven, he's talking about grace. Grace is, would be this. I know we got people that live in Buckeye and uh, sometimes you probably run late for church. Whoever runs late for church, like, right? Just, oh, you don't ever run late for church. Are you even, y'all are still chewing on predestination. I understand. <clears throat> but let's say you're doing 85 like everybody else northbound on the 303, trying to make it to Grace Point Church, uh, coincidentally, uh, you know, and you get pulled over. And the officer goes, hey, you know you were doing 85? Well, now you have a choice to make. It's a predestined choice, but you have a choice to make. That's supposed to be funny. But uh, you have a choice to make of you can say, I had no idea, which I think makes it worse, by the way. I don't ever want to say, I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't even awake. Like, yeah, I know, I'm running late for church. The officer gets your information, goes back to his car. He's back there a little bit. He comes back and he gives you $100 and says, take your wife out to lunch after church. What? I'm sorry, where's the cameras? That just, that's absurd. Why does that feel absurd? Because that's how grace works. It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You didn't do, you were actually wrong. You deserved justice or judgment, but you got a gift in its place. That's what grace looks like. And he's lavished that upon us. And look how he's done it. It says in all wisdom and insight, okay? In all wisdom and insight. Whose wisdom and insight? God's, the creator. So this stuff has been thought, thought through. I just made my notes go completely away. There they are. We can edit that out, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, thanks, Rob. So anyways, yeah, it's better now. Uh, but in all wisdom and insight, these things have been thought through. So I just want you to know that grace has been lavished upon you, and there's a sovereign plan for your life that in all wisdom and insight, it's been thought through. So your life is not a bunch of chaos and God reaction to all your decisions and all this. There's choices you make, God's sovereign over those things, and he's working uh, to make known the mystery of his will, okay, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And so he's revealing this mystery to us, and we use mystery different than they use it in the Bible. So we use mystery like it's a whodunit. So you might watch a TV show and you're trying to figure out who the serial killer was, like on Criminal Minds, or it's a whodunit, like you're just trying to figure out who, you know, who did whatever. In this way, it means like, no, it's always been there, this has always been around, but you were ignorant to it. You had no idea it was there until it was made known. And so what Paul's writing is the mystery has been revealed according to his purpose, and the mystery revealed is Christ. It was set forth in him. 
And so when the time was right, that's what he means when he writes, a plan for the fullness of the time. When the time was right, Christ was revealed to all of humanity at, during redemption, when, when God becomes man, lives in our place the life we fail to live, dies in our place the death we deserve, raises from the dead. So when the time was right for all of history, Christ comes, but also when the time is right in your story, Christ shows up, okay? And so he, it's the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is grandiosity. This is Paul writing from an eternal perspective. And he's writing about the already but not yet. Who knows that phrase? Who has heard the already but not yet? Me and you, and you and you, good. I think you were at the last service though, so I don't know if that counts. So the already but not yet is the way that Paul will write about us like we have been justified and sanctified and glorified in him. He talks about that like it's the past, like it's already happened. But you and I both know, I haven't done enough burpees to be glorified. I mean, look, I got this body. It's failing in eyesight. It's expanding in waistline. It's receding in hairline. You know, like it's, I got high blood pressure and sleep apnea or whatever it is that you got. And so, you know, I'm not yet glorified, but in the eternal perspective, you are because God finishes the good work in you that he started. If you're in Christ, then you are going to be glorified. No matter what choices you make and all this, someday Christ will return, bring heaven to earth, and you will be made into a glorified body. And so that's this um, inheritance that he's talking about is he's talking about the kingdom coming. When God brings heaven to earth, when Christ brings heaven to earth, evil is judged forever and sent into hell and God's people dwell with him forever. And so on that day, there'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more broken relationship, no more estranged relationships. I'll be out of a job. I'll come intern at your place because we'll just go listen to Jesus talk. You won't need me to, to tell you what he says. And so, so that's the so verse eight is this uh, big eternal thing. And then he gets in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, the already but not yet is our inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. So everything in your life is for his purpose. It's for his glory. So when we first started the church, we started the church with this one question. We got in a living room. We threw as many people in that living room as could fit. And I asked this question, why did God make the world? Now, how you answer that question is very important into how you relate to the Lord, how you see yourself. And so some people would say, so that he could love people. Well, God is love. I mean, that, there, there's, that is a true statement. It's not the best answer to the question. But God is love. Outside of time and space, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, God is already love. He did not need to make us to have someone to love. Some would say, well, he was lonely. And I would say, well, God was in outside of time and space. God was perfect and not lonely in the Trinity. And the reason, I'm just going to get there and give you the answer. The reason God made the world was for his glory. To, to put on display his beauty, his might, his sovereignty, his glory, his outside of time and spaceness, just his awesome sauce. You have no awesome sauce, neither do I. Like you might be better at basketball than me or make more money than all that. I respect you. You're attractive. I'm not attractive. It's okay. <laughs> but God is the only one who is awesome. We overuse that word, but God is awesome. And to show us his awesomeness, he made, and it's for his glory. And God, God has pre-orchestrated everything in such a way that he gets glory. Now, for his people, when God gets glory, that's always for our good. 
God has given us commandments. He's given us books of wisdom to live by. I totally believe that blessings come from obedience, but everything is to give glory to God for us. And when we give glory to God by how we eat our food and how we drink our drink and how we love our family and how we go to work and how we rest well and all these things, when we live inside the life-giving boundaries he's given us that lead to human flourishing, that rolls up into glory for him and it's for our good. But he also promises to use the crappy stuff for our good. Even the evil that happens to us. There are horrible, 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 painful things that have happened to you and me. And God even promises that he'll use those things for our good. That all things will work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. Called according to whose purpose? His. So it's always about the glory of God. And the plan for your life is about the glory for God, but it's also for your good. And so it's according to his purpose of him who works all things... So all things according to the counsel of his will. So he has a plan for you. He really does. We joke about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Like Billy Graham always said, it's true, but how does it work? I'm gonna do my best to try to unpack that a little bit and uh, not treat this like a seminary class. For one, I've never been to seminary, so I don't even know what that's like. Um, But I have high-speed internet and I've read some books, so let's see what happens. Many of us would wonder, like, how does that work? So is it either man's free will or is it fatalism? Does God make all my choices for me or do I make all my choices and God is reacting to all my choices, which is it? And the answer is no. You'll find neither of those concepts in the scripture. I know some of you are like, no, 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 but we choose. We do choose, and maybe it's just semantics for me and you, but I don't believe in the idea of free will, and I'll demonstrate. Right now, I really wish that I was a rhinoceros and I'm gonna be one. Did it happen? I choose to be six foot seven and no longer have sleep apnea. Did it happen? We won't, one of them we won't know till tonight. But you, there's only so many choices you can choose, right? I, we have choice. The Bible says we have choice all over the place. People chose a first father, Adam. He was a Homer Simpson and chose to mess up the world, right? We have choice, but we can't choose things outside of time and space in the way that God has made the world to work. And so, so to, these things are true, that God is sovereign and we are responsible for our choices and our actions and the things that we do. Both of these things are true. I think one time someone asked Charles Spurgeon to reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He said, you don't reconcile friends. They're friends. I want you to think about this rope that needs to remain tight. And if you drop either end, you fall off into heresy. Fatalism or just absolute free will, like God is limited in power. He works for us. You know, like Santa Claus needing our make-believe so his reindeer can fly. Well, that's not how God works. He's Outside of time and space, he doesn't need us. The scriptures say the very rocks would cry out and worship God if we didn't worship God. The other end would be that, that it's, it's fatalistic and we don't, whatever we do, God made us do it like we're robots. That's clearly not in the scriptures. There's an example of Paul being on a ship and, and he, know, he says, hey, an angel told me that uh, if you'll do, if we'll throw everything overboard, uh, we're gonna lose the ship, but we'll, we'll keep our lives. But uh, if we don't do that, somebody's, somebody might die. Like there's these options. You only have so many choices and whatever choice you make, God is going to use them for his sovereign purposes. So it's both. God is sovereign. He has a plan. He's in full control of all things. Everything's a part of the plan. 
I'm not telling you that God is making bad things happen to you. I'm saying he made a world in which bad things can happen to you. And he promises inside that world, if you're his, he'll redeem those things to whether they'll actually work out for your good. And he will act, you know, in the same way that you get dosed up with medicine um, to inoculate you to certain diseases, like the same as with evil, to where we don't have to be stressed and lose sleep at night and Satan can throw darts our way all he wants to because we're gonna be fine, even if... The tires do go flat and we are betrayed by the friend or we do find out we have cancer or we lose the job, God will use it somehow for our good. It'll be redeemed and and work out for us in a way that maybe we'll never understand on this side of eternity. The other thing is that God works through our choices. We see that all throughout the scriptures. That's how he's chosen to work. I think it all goes back to tomato plants. That's what I think. I guess I need to explain that. Uh, God made a world in which we have seasons everywhere else but here, by the way. We have se- in Oklahoma, we had seasons. Here, we just have hot and not so hot. But, but uh, in Oklahoma, at least, whenever I was trying to be a little farmer in my backyard, we would try to grow tomato plants. And we would put, God has made the world in a way where you put a seed in the ground and it starts to sprout, starts a little plant. You do that a certain time of the year and you, at least in Oklahoma, want to harvest them on the 4th of July. If you did it right on the 4th of July, you blow stuff up, God bless America, eat some red meat. I hope that's not offensive. And then you have tomatoes, okay? That's the way it was made to work. Now, sometimes there's a miracle tomato that grows in December. That happens, but this is the way that God made the world to work. And so that's his sovereign predestined plan and he works through choices, which means that your choices are not gonna out-choose what he's ultimately gonna do in you, to you, and through you. And people's choices against you are not gonna outdo what God wants to do in you, to you, and through you. So, so that's a premise on uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, let me get back to verses eight through 11 and just look at this corporately and then personally. So, so there's what we call gospel in the air, and gospel on the ground. So this is what God's story, how this story has been unfolding, gospel in the air looks like this. This is for all people that were ever created and all of God's people for all time from Genesis to to when Christ returns. And in the beginning, God creates. God is creator. You need to know that Jesus and Satan are not brothers arm wrestling over the souls of mankind. That's just a myth, that's not true. God made. In the beginning, outside of time and space, was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the voice of God, who is Christ, spoke and said, let there be light, and there was, and something was made from absolutely nothing. God created plants and animals and peoples. He created the natural and the supernatural. He made the heavens and the earth. He made angels, and he made human beings. Both rebelled against him. It's called the fall. These are four great acts that are revealed to us in Scripture. They're four great acts that are being played out in the history of all time. So there was creation, act one, act two is the fall that I referenced with our first dad, uh, Adam. He was deceived by the fallen angel, Satan, and deceived into sinning. And God said, one day a son will be born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. It's the first time the good news of the gospel was ever preached. And so that promise has been fulfilled over thousands of years So that promise is made in Genesis 3, and then eventually we find our way in Genesis 12, and there's a man named Abram. God, uh, he ends up being called Abraham, but God makes a promise with him and says, "If if you go where I tell you to go, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. And he made a family out of Abraham and Sarah's being a a couple. They couldn't even have kids. He healed her womb, they had children. 
So that family eventually becomes a nation, the nation of Israel. Over hundreds and hundreds of years for that uh, promise to come into fruition that there would be a nation called Israel. Out of that nation comes the son who will crush the head of the serpent. His name is Jesus. Jesus steps into human history. When he comes into human history, this is the third act, and it's called redemption, where Christ comes and he enters into our pain. Like the world was broken. The, the world just fell apart. Through the fall came tornadoes and hurricanes and dust storms and and tsunamis, but not only that, but murder and malice and evil and foolishness and poor decisions and evil decisions and victims of crime and injustice. All these horrible things have entered into the world. And Christ comes into that world and he becomes like us, but without sin. And he lives a life obedient to the Father. He never breaks a single commandment so that he's righteous. His righteousness makes him... um, the one who is holy to go to the cross and die in our place for our sins. So on that cross, two things are happening, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God tells us in the scriptures that God pours his wrath out on Jesus and Jesus absorbs the wrath of God against our sin for those who would believe in him. But at the same time, we're guilty of killing God. Like we, we did that. Both things are true. That's human responsibility and, and God's sovereignty. And so Christ, in that moment, on the cross, not just an innocent man dies, but supernaturally, the dimensions are working together to where our sins are transferred to him and his righteousness is transferred to us if we believe in our heart that Christ then raised from the dead and confess with our lips that he's the Lord of our life. So three days later, he raises from the dead and he leaves uh, sin, guilt, and shame. Satan, sin, death is defeated. He raises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit the day that Peter and the other apostles are preaching and Holy Spirit comes and a church is, is made. And this is the act of redemption. We're living in it right now, that churches are being planted all over the world and people like you and me are hearing the good news of Jesus, believing it, and and little pieces of our life are being put back together. And we have this promise that the world was broken and things came undone, but one day restoration will happen. One day we will look to the sky and Christ will rip it apart. He'll bring heaven to earth. He'll gather everyone up, judge us according to our faith in him or our faith in ourselves or whatever it is we had put our hope in. And there will be um, evil cast into hell forever and we'll dwell forever on the new earth with, with, with Jesus as our king. We won't have any, I don't think we'll have any more elections. I don't think Jesus is giving up the throne. I think it's, you know, we're just gonna serve him. Like I told you, I'll intern at your grocery store or whatever it is you have and we'll live forever with no more death, no more disease and all that sort of stuff. So that's gospel in the air. That is corporately what we're all connected to, whether we're the church in Africa, South America, here in the States, we're all connected to this grand story of how God is making a people for himself and giving this blessing that's greater than all spiritual blessings to us because we're in Christ. But then there's the way that that global eternal story comes into your life. And we call that gospel on the ground. And the four acts of that would be God, man, Christ response. And here's how it looks. It starts with God. If you are in Christ and you are his, what Paul is telling us, this isn't me. I, I couldn't make this stuff up. This stuff makes my head blow up. But what God is telling us is that in the beginning of time and space, he knew you, he chose you, he desired you, he made you and worked all things together to where you would be adopted as sons and daughters of God. 
okay? He's, he's working, he has plans for you, plans that you cannot foil, plans you cannot mess up. You're going to rebel, you're gonna mess up, you're gonna mean evil against people, you're gonna make foolish decisions. Uh, you're, all these things, you're gonna get it right sometimes, you're gonna worship, all these things are gonna work out in such a way that that's what God had for you, okay? And, here's, and you have no idea about that. And in fact, even as Christians, God's doing a million and three things in our life and we're aware of half of one of them, okay? And so here's, here's what we see. Then we're living our life. So it starts with God pursuing us, revealing himself to us, and we start taking a look around at our life and we realize, man, my life has fallen, you know, it's, I'm unhappy. It seems like it's fallen apart or I've torn it apart. Like in this room, there's sins of, we've mentioned them all, I think, but we have broken marriages. We have broken other people's marriages. We have lied. We have ruined companies. We have ruined our reputation. We've ruined relationships. We have done things to other people and guilt is now a part of our story. But also, um, shame can be a part of your story. Maybe it's not your choices that impacted others. It's other choices that impacted you. And you're well aware of shame. You feel like other people have uh, varsity level dignity and you have junior varsity level dignity and you're less than everyone else. They're normal, you're weird. How, and so you feel shame and you're motivated by shame. Or maybe some of you are, you know, it's not the, the crappy, it's not the unhappy. You've been very successful and you still feel like there's something missing. And then Jesus shows up into our story. His work, that life, death, resurrection I told you about, it shows up somehow in a sermon you, you heard at Grace Point or a sermon you heard at some other church or you had your Bible open and you read it and it warmed your heart to faith or a song you heard on the radio that, that had gospel in it enough to where it got to you and the Lord, gave, you, know, you were awakened to believe and you saw the beauty of Christ, you saw your sin, you saw your shame and you believed that Christ traded places with you and he rescued you, and you respond to that, and the way that you respond is by believing. You respond by belief. You faith in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. That's the way the gospel works in our life on the ground. That's how we're connected to that big story. And so here's what this means. And, and some, I had the privilege of taking a coffee meeting this week and, and a, a girl about my age and uh, works, uh, she's brilliant, she's very smart, she's smart. I told her, I said, I'm not smart enough to have this conversation with you, but I'll do my best. And uh, we just talked about reasons to believe that there's a God. And she said, I believe in creator, but the Jesus stuff is, is kind of weird to me. I don't understand why would, why would he create the world and, and, and make it, so complex like this and work through choice and he's sovereign and I don't understand. And I said, well, time out. A believer, I, I'm a, I don't understand why he did it that way, but I believe he did it that way because I believe his word. And, and she said the question that I want to know, well, why the suffering? Why the pain? Why do we have to go through so much stuff? Like, why can't he just change it? You know, like, hey, just like, I, and the way I took it is like we are playing a pickup game of basketball with your big brother and he keeps saying, no, the wall is inbounds when I have the ball. It's out of bounds when, you know, like that's just not how it works. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. That the world fell apart when Adam and Eve broke it. And your world has been torn apart or fallen apart at some point if you live life long enough. And Christ enters into that story. He enters into that pain. Not only does God, who is outside of time and space, become man who lives inside the bounds of time and space when he incarnates, that means that he put on flesh, but when he was betrayed and he was being um, tortured, 
by Roman soldiers, they would whip him with this whip called the cat of nine tails. And it had all these leather pieces to it and it would have metal shards or what. Some of y'all are better students of that than I am, but, I, but here's the big idea. They would whip him with that. It would wrap around his rib cage, wrap around his body, grab back of his head, his thigh, or whatever it would grab. And then they would pull it back off of Jesus and it would just rip flesh off of his body. Bone shards would go flying across the courtyard. He was totally tortured for our sins and because of our sins. He was literally torn apart like your life is figuratively torn apart. Christ was literally torn apart. And he died, they put him in the grave, and three days later, he was put back together again. That's what everybody wants. That's what every religion is looking to promise you. That's what every good Disney story is trying to sell you, is that somehow what broke can be put back together again. And this is the beauty of the gospel. That's our hope, that's our promise, that's our inheritance that your life was torn apart, but it will be put back together again. The beauty will eclipse the brokenness. The person of Christ, our relationship with him, will, will eclipse the pain. And so one day, our world, or in the past, our world fall apart, our lives fall apart, and Jesus doesn't make light of that. His, he comes and is literally ripped apart, put in a tomb, he's put back together, and our hope is that one day, beyond this act, of the act of redemption that we're all participating in will come restoration. Christ will come, he'll be our king, the world will be healed, no more expanding waistlines, no more receding hairlines, no more failing eyesight, no more sleep apnea, it'll be awesome. But that's our hope. And see, that's, that's the heart of a Christian, that's, that's our joy, that's our perspective. We see this day in light of that day that's the blessing that's, that supersedes all blessings, is the happy and crappy may come, but we're rooted in, we'll have no condemnation. And as, as Noah was in the ark and spared from the flood, we are in Christ and spared from his wrath. And God promises that all the pieces of your life that broke will be put back together if you are in him. Let's pray.